You're listening to the film podcast about indie filmmaking and big budget films with award-winning filmmaker Craig Newland. And welcome to another episode of the Film Podcast. As mentioned, it's been a while since we featured short films on the podcast. And to make up for that, we have three short film directors who will be joining the podcast over the next couple of weeks to talk about their crafted short films. Our second filmmaker is the writer-director and DOP of a film called A Theory of Incompleteness. Simon Green, welcome to the Film Podcast. Oh, thank you kindly. And you're an Australian filmmaker based in Melbourne, Australia. Melbourne at the moment, unfortunately, has a lot of infections with COVID. How has lockdown gone for you? Well, Melbourne's been the most locked down city in the world. So that has been challenging. <laughs> and, and I think uh, the film we made is sort of a, a bit of a reflection of that. In, it's about connection. And your film, A Theory of Incompleteness, I would call this film a high-concept film. Everything about this film comes down to the concept and the bold vision of what the story is telling us. It's a visually rich piece. Uh, so perhaps, first off, tell our filmmaker audience what the film is all about. The story is about a woman who is trying to join a esoteric society and it starts when she's up to the final test to join this society and she slips through time and space and physicality in an attempt battling her assessor in an attempt to to win and join it and i guess that that's what it's about <laughs> Okay, and, and considering that you did this during lockdown, you have some locations that did make me wonder how you filmed scenes like the cyber city, the jungle, and the war scenes. And then I discovered that you were creating all of this within Unreal Engine software and shot as the backdrop to the film on pro screen LED walls, similar to what is used in filming The Mandalorian, which is part of the Star Wars series. So tell me how you're able to put all of these set pieces together with the restrictions that you were working within. I think we've been through a series of like six lockdowns over the last two years, and there was windows of opportunity where we had no COVID in Victoria. It was during one of those windows that we were able to film like we would ordinarily on set. It's an incredibly dynamic film. It starts off in a car park, then goes into a 1959 French provincial church, was actually what I was thinking of when, when I wrote the script. And then it goes to the battlefields of World War One, and then it goes to a, a prehistoric rainforest, uh, and then it goes into a cyberpunk laneway, and then it goes uh, back to the car park. And the car park is the only one that's been real. Everything else was filmed in the LED volume. At the final sequence of the car park, we actually photogrammically recreated the car park, <laughs> which was just <laughs> next door, and we put it in the LED volume. And there's a montage sequence at the end. I don't want to give away what it is, but it's two people and the camera looks like it's tracking around them. But effectively what we did was we put them on a turntable and we turned the turntable and we turned the LED volume at the same speed as the turntable, like we had, giving the sense that we had circular track around the people, which was a bit gimmicky. <laughs> but, but the idea behind it was to showcase what the technology can do. 
And we did all of this whole film in two days. Well, the Cyber City, if we can have a look at that, when you look at the different shots within that scene, you still have to make sure that the colour palette of the actors with reflections of the different colours match up with the different light sources. And that's a real trick, isn't it? Making all of that work seamlessly where the audience doesn't notice anything is off on a subconscious level when they're watching. Yeah, absolutely. Filming in an LED environment as opposed to doing it in a green screen, the great thing is that the actors know where they are. They can see the environment around them. And as a cinematographer, I can work with my gaffer and we can look at the, the lights that are in the set and we can know the direction where it's coming from. We're not bringing up plates, say if we're doing it in a green screen, where we're sort of going, oh, I think it's going to be over there. We can actually see it. It's in front of us. And I've got as much control because there's an LED volume operator who can move the environment for us, you know, like a few feet to the left or can we get rid of that um, hat stand in the background or, you know, that, that's the kind of control that you've got. And in addition, what's really cool is that you can have, so the reflections that you get on the actor's skin and if they're wearing like a reflective costume or, or a costume that is opaque, it's not a nightmare for a compositing artist afterwards. It's it's part of the environment. It's it's a, a pleasing reflection. It's one that you're you want to have on them because it puts them more in that space. And how much of this Unreal Engine software work had you done prior to this short film and also working with the pro screen LED walls? How much of that had you done before? This was the first thing that I've done. And, and in fact, I, the reason the film was made as, as a bit of a, um, a showcase for this particular space, and it was also a, a test to see what we could do in it. And basically what, what happened is in the middle of lockdown, all of these guys who work in live events, who work with pro screens, they uh, started to build an LED volume and, and I got asked to come in as a DOP, as a, as a consultant. When I came in, I, I was very doubtful. I was a bit cynical because there's a sensor on your camera and when you move the camera, the background moves accordingly. So you get genuine parallax. So if someone's standing in front of a corridor and you track right, you might see more of that wall of that corridor come into frame like you do in real life. And that's what's the, um, the beauty of it, because the backgrounds are created in, in a gaming program, a 3D gaming program called Unreal Engine. Anyway, I saw it happening and I went, that's fantastic, but we don't want two panels. You know, we don't want half a wall. We want, I want it in the round <laughs> and I want a roof. <laughs> and they said, oh, okay, come back in a month. And um, yeah, and we just kept on building it from there. Now that you've done the short film with that environment, how much more do you want to further push and develop and work with that again? Heaps. There's lots to do. But to me, it's just another string in our bow as filmmakers. It's, I, I think sometimes people can get really silly around technology. <laughs> it's, like, it's like when gimbals came out, you know, and drones, you know, everybody went, let's do it all on a gimbal. Let's do everything on a drone. And, and of course, it's, that, that's, that's not how it works. Every shot means something in a film. Our tools would be used to tell stories. And so when the right story is there, it's fantastic. I mean, things where it's really great if it is um, tracking shots in cars and things like that. The ability to film safely and to get more dynamic shots, it's awesome. 
And talking of just that dynamic look, coming back to the Cyber City, now that's one of my favourite scenes, and we'll put a link in below so that people can watch the film. I think you had in that particular scene 15 or 16 different frame sizes and angles in the cyber scene, which made that short scene visually rich, very rich, but it had to be executed really well between the two actors, which through their performance, they were able to elevate it and take it to a higher level. Perhaps just talk through all of that for the the cyber city scene and how you're able to achieve that working with those two actors jessa and indy who i thought did a really good job yeah i think they are amazing actors and and what was really funny is that jessa and indy uh have been romantically attached (laughs) so it just made the working with them um doing intimate stuff uh, so much more easily but I actually trained as an actor myself many years ago when, when I first, uh, which is unusual, I know, for a DOP. But that's, yes. that, 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 that was my, my background. And so, and I did that for a few years and then sort of fell into theatre directing. And I thought the reason why I worked well as a theatre director was because I'd been an actor and I uh, understood how to cultivate that contract between the, um, the actor and the audience. When I'm directing actors on set, it's not a leap for me at all because I've, I've been there and I, I know the language and I know techniques help ourselves get in the moment. The way the film's structured is that it moves very quickly through different worlds. And so what had to happen for the actors is that they had to have the backstory be built into their bodies so that the intention of the scene didn't feel forced at all. felt like it was uh, completely natural for them to be pulling guns and doing backflips in that space. Working with Unreal Engine software, I, I mean, that's just something, that's a given, isn't it, that you just have to storyboard? Or do you think that you can get away with perhaps not storyboarding and sort of rolling with something because you've got that environment that everybody can see, as you've said? I think given the way it's set up now, they've changed the configuration. When I filmed in it, it was almost in a round because that's how I wanted it. And now it's sort of set up with um, a large flat back panel and some two floating panels on the side, which I think is good because it's more flexible. The way I had it was perfect for the stories that I wanted to tell within it. I think in that environment, I needed to storyboard it all. Having sets that are built on mega deck that are on wheels that you can wheel in and out of things that actors can stand on, that's when it's going to be really ace. And if you're in those kinds of larger set pieces, I I think your need to storyboard things so intrinsically is probably a bit less because you can play a bit more within it. The way that we were filming in it and the pace that we wanted to go through it, it really had to be quite particular. And so it was, was really important to storyboard it all. And you were also the cinematographer, as we mentioned at the outset. And I presume that you're on the camera shooting as well. Is that the case? Yes, I operated as as well. You know, I've been filming now for about 15 years as a a DIP. And before that, I was a a focus puller. And before that, I was a clapper loader. And before that, I was a prep technician in a rental house. It was a big jump for me going from doing theatre into film and working as an actor where everything's imagination and supposition to going into film where, you know, you're talking about flange depths and (laughs) Mm. light ratios and things like that. But I I just love the power of cinematography and I, I love how it speaks. And I just wanted to get to a place technically where it didn't feel separate to me. It feels... 
it just feels natural. And I feel like I've got to that point now where in my head, I know what different lenses are. I know what quality of light I want. It's sort of straightforward for me to grab a camera and call it sort of quicker for me to do it that way. One of the things that I've enjoyed in my journey as a DOP is working with different directors, the collaboration that that brings. Likewise, the directors have different strengths and different focuses. It's the joy of filmmaking that it's uh, it's a group enterprise and, and it's a joy to work with different and other people. And so I, I think in the future, I would like to work with different DOPs because of that collaboration and, and what different people's personalities bring and different ways of seeing things. And what about directing? Because it means that you've got to switch from your cinematography brain into directing. So how have you found all of that on a project like this where there is a lot of different moving parts taking place? On this project, it felt easier in some ways to direct and be the DOP just because I knew the story so well and I could just move so quickly. I didn't have to translate anything. It just felt a lot quicker. What were some of the things that you learnt on this project from a directing point of view that you'll further develop and expand on for your next film that you direct? I think for me, what I've learned is about some of the storytelling. I think in some ways the film polarises people because of the way it's structured. It's sort of got, I don't want to give it away, but it's got an emotional logic at the end. Your intellect goes, oh, it's about that. It's, it's, it sort of leaves it hanging and it's satisfying emotionally, but not with the intellect. And it polarises people, which I think is fine. So people end up either really liking it or go, I don't really know what it's about. I kind of want to include everybody. <laughs> so I think in, I'm really interested in structuring it in a way that, that's a bit more inclusive. Well, I think that that says a lot about you, that you're prepared to actually state that, whereby many people wouldn't actually say anything. They'd say, well, people just didn't quite get the elements that we we were going for. We know it's there. So, you know, that's, a, that's all credit to you. And, and in terms of directing... Has this given you more of an appreciation for the director's chair from the cinematography one? I always appreciate the, the, the pressure that directors are under and it's I love working with them as a DOP. Um, I love supporting them and collaborating with them. I guess it's a reminder of, of what they go through. It's just like um, every year I try and um, cut something, you know, like edit something, just to remind myself what I put editors through. <laughs> <laughs> And to, to, yeah, just, you know, just to remember the hold on shots a little bit longer to give them editing points and things like that, you know. And coming back to your short, I always look at what the shot selection the director has made. And, and I've got to tell you, I had no idea what was coming next in terms of your next shot in this film. And anybody that says, I, I knew what was coming is just romancing. I guess that's a real talking point for a lot of people that have seen the film, that have said exactly that to you. I just didn't know what was going to happen next. That's a lovely response. I always think about when we're covering scenes, I always go, let's have a look at that at 90 degrees because editors like 90 degree cuts. (laughs) And that's how I think about covering scenes, particularly something like this. It just rolls as a two-hander largely. So if a producer is listening to the podcast wondering if you have a feature 
that you want to direct. Let's throw that up in the air because, Simon, as we know, it's all about connections in the film industry, who you know, who you don't. So here's an opportunity to talk about a project if you've got one with potentially a producer listening in. First off, I'd, l- I'd love to expand Theory of Incompleteness into a, a longer film. I think I think there's enough meat in it to do that. In terms of another genre, I've got a wedding film that I really like to make because I just think weddings are, have got such uh, a, a great place for design and, and story. But it's, it's called The Wedding Photographer, and it's about a very cynical wedding photographer who is very grumpy and he doesn't believe in love at all. But then he um, goes to photograph a particular couple where the bride is an absolute bridezilla and really mean, and he falls head over heels in love with her. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds good. (laughs) I want to see that film. (laughs) Me too, me too. Well, thank you, Simon, for the insights into your short film, A Theory of Incompleteness. As mentioned, we're going to leave a link for people to watch it. And well done to you and your team for crafting a visually rich short film. All the best for whatever comes next. And thank you so much for talking to us today on the film podcast. Uh, Thank you kindly. You've been listening to The Film Podcast with Craig Newland, your weekly podcast about all things behind the camera and in front of it. Until next time, have a great week.